Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is Anthony Pagnata with you guys. And uh, man, Carolina coming off another huge win over NC State on Saturday. Uh, this is uh, second straight year for Carolina with a big time win. Uh, they are uh, the points total in the last two games over, uh, what is it? I think it's 88 points or uh, might have actually finished over 90 because they did score a later touchdown in this game. So Carolina's last two games against State, the best two offensive games for Carolina against the Wolfpack in program history. All results in a Carolina 48-21 win over the NC State Wolfpack. And, uh, you know, buddy, as I bring in my co-host, Josh Marley, you know, this uh, this Toriel team, you know, we knew coming in that they should have not much of an issue dealing with this NC State Wolfpack team. A good, you know, a, a decent Wolfpack team, a team that I think has gotten off to a better start to the season than maybe some imagined. But without their starting quarterback and with Carolina pretty much angry about the fact of what happened uh, the past week against Florida State, it all worked out for a big-time Carolina win. Yeah, they did what I thought they should have done, which was be a mediocre to average team at best rather easily. I thought Carolina's game plan was as good as we've seen it since, uh, you know, to start the game all year long. They were able to establish the run, but I really thought the quick passing game, because you know you've had a hard time holding up in pass protection, really allowed Sam Howell to get into an early rhythm and, and settle into the game. And, and, and it just really built from that. And I thought defensively to start the game, I thought Carolina was more physical up front than they had been in the past few weeks. We know they've been battling some injuries along that defensive line, um, but that didn't really show up on Saturday. They, they were able to to be in the, in the in the backfield, not allow NC State to establish a running game, which they were going to want to do with another quarterback in, in the game with Devin Leary out with an injury. And I just thought they responded well coming off that loss to Florida State. We knew going in that – you know, there was a, a, a situation where this team's confidence could have been shook. 
And if they would have lost that game, the season could have spiraled out of control. But Mac Brown was able to rally the troops. They were focused. Um, they were, you know, invested in what was going on in the field, uh, you know, on the field. And they did what they should have done, which was blow out an, 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 an NC State Wolfpack team that was only in the top 25 because of COVID. If this wasn't a COVID year, that's not a top 25 football team in college football. And, and I think Carolina showed that on Saturday in a big one. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think that that team probably would have been ranked, but it's a ranked win. That's how you got to look at it. If uh, if you're some of these people around college football that are going to be having to determine, uh, you know, where Carolina stands in the rankings. Um, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I wanted to talk about the physicality aspect that you brought up because not only was it the offensive and defensive lines that brought the physicality, this team as a whole brought the physicality for the second straight year in this matchup especially those running backs. Uh, Michael Carter ran hard, but of course, Javante Williams was the guy that everybody was focused on with how hard he played. And then of course you had the highlight that we'll all be looking at for years to come. It's going to be just like Ty Murray's block on, uh, on Peyton Wilson from a year ago. Um, Sam Howell's block in the open field uh, was just fantastic. You don't see that normally from your quarterback, especially from a guy in Sam Howell who, you know, before he came in last year to Carolina said, he was going to try to take a lot of the physicality out of his game because he knew he had to protect himself a little more. So it was great to see Carolina play a much more physical game than they played the previous week in the game where they probably should have played a lot more physical against Florida State. And because they didn't, they ended up getting beat. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about that game with, with State is usually the more physical team wins the ball game. And that's that's actually more evident. One of the big reasons why Larry Fedora can never beat State was that they weren't as physical up front or throughout their their depth chart as NC State was. They and and, and so I think that was something that Carolina has taken more onus under Mac Brown. You saw it last year in Raleigh, and then this year, of course, in Chapel Hill, where as you mentioned, it wasn't just our offensive defensive lines. I thought Javante Williams and Michael Carter they weren't afraid to lower the shoulder to run through the defender. I thought our receivers on the outside were very physical, and I thought our corners were very physical in pass protection. I thought our linebackers were popping pads, and you and you know because there's an empty stadium, you can hear the hitting a little bit more this year. But I mean, you could hear some of the the licks that were being laid, and I think that's something that Carolina, I and, and it's so hard to do. Uh, they've got to carry that physicality week in, week out. They've got to become – they've got to embrace being physical. The thing about the great teams is that they, they have great skill players and they've got great quarterbacks, but they're, they're physical, hard-nosed football teams. And I think Carolina's getting there. Mm-hmm. And I thought they took the right step on Saturday because if, if State was going to beat Carolina, you thought it was going to be because they out-physical. They were more tougher than Carolina was. And there was no question on Saturday that the team in light blue – was the tougher team, and that led us to the whole we know what a Ram is to a Wolf thing in the post game from Sam Howell, and it's just something that you know now the program's starting to embody that that we are we, we want to be physical, and there's nothing wrong with that, and, and so I think that's something that you know you you take from this and you build on it and see where it takes you. Yeah, and I think, you know, that was one of the big things that helped this team out of the gate get off to a fast start. Another thing that helped them get off to a fast start was that short passing game. Uh, You know, you hadn't really seen it a whole lot throughout the year, not a big time focus on it, but um, NC State did what we expect a lot of teams to probably do the rest of the way, which is load the box and try to slow this run game down. But 
they countered on the outside by playing a lot of off-man coverage, trying not to get beat over the top because they figured Carolina would try to go deep, which eventually they did. But Carolina really took advantage of that short passing game early on, really got everything started. Uh, you know, I think that's something that we've really been asking for from this offense for a while. You know, you've got playmakers that can make things happen after the catch. Believe it or not, De'Ami Brown's not just a deep threat. He's a guy that can make guys miss in the open field. Emory Simmons, you know, definitely seemed to fill that role pretty well the other day. Um, you know, Bo Corrales has, has shown that at times as well. And then, of course, there's Daz Newsom, which that's where he thrives the most. So we finally got to see a little bit of that. And I think that's something that, you know, uh, this week against Virginia is probably going to be there as well. So you probably want to see a little bit more of that as the season goes along. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is Carolina can run the football as good as any team in college football. And I'm not saying, you know, it, I'm, I'm not saying that when Mac Brown says it, you know, sometimes he just says stuff. No, they, they, they can run the ball as good as anybody. Mm-hmm which means they should be able to do what they did in the passing game on Saturday week in, week out, which is pretty much pick their spots to go deep, whereas before this past weekend, they were hell-bent on throwing the ball down the field, down the field, down the field, which is great when the balls are being caught. But they haven't been there this year for whatever reason. You could just mark it up to Carolina was historically good throwing the football downfield last year. You knew you were going to regress to some degree, so you kind of step away from that look at all the guys that you can throw the football to and let them make plays after the catch, that yak that we always like to talk about. And you got that on Saturday. De'Ami Brown is too physical of a guy to just throw the ball deep. He can win one-on-one matchups in a, in a, in a slant route or a curl route or, you know, a, a different route uh, combination. Emory Simmons finally showed the kind of potential he has to be in this offense and in Carolina. And so, I think moving forward, that should be the passing game is that we're going to throw it quick. We're going to throw it short and we're just going to beat you with our physicality and our speed and our strength on the outside. And then when we finally baited you for a quarter or two quarters or whatever with our run game and short passing game, we're going to beat you over the top. And then our whole office is going to open up and we're, and we're going to, we're going to be in, in rhythm. So, um, but we know Phil Longo, we'll press you a whole different game plan on Saturday in Charlottesville. Let's hope not. Uh, let's talk a little bit just really quickly about Emory Simmons. Uh, just a breakout game for him. He was one of those guys that was a breakout star for you before the yeah. season. You thought he was going to be one of those guys that broke out. He's going to have to step up now because, as we've heard, Bo Corrales, his upper body injury seems like it's rather severe. It's probably going to be something that um, you know that we're going to have to monitor over these next couple of weeks. And if it doesn't get any better, he's probably going to have to have surgery on it. You know, is is this a guy that you think can sort of extend upon what we saw from him in this first game and, and play a bigger role for this team this year? Because Carolina is going to need it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the thing is I don't think – I mean, I don't think he has a choice. I think Carolina – the conversation is going to be like not that we want you to take the next step. Like, no, you you need to give us more starting now. If, if this offense and this team is going to do what it wants to do on that side of the football because teams are taking away De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsom a lot better than last year, and Bo Corrales last year was able to come in and fill that role. We don't need Emory Simmons to get you 10 catches and 100 yards every week, but we need those five to six catches, whether it's a third down catch, a red zone target, whatever. He just needs to be that guy that when the, his number's called, he can make plays. Mm-hmm. And – you saw on Saturday, Sam Howell obviously has a trust with him to get him the football and let him do things with it after the catch. And so 
I think you'll see that uh, moving forward. I also think Josh Downs is a guy got his, he caught us for a touchdown this past weekend. I think his role is going to grow, and we've heard nothing but coming into the year the kind of talent he's going to be and how he's going to flourish in this offense. He's kind of muddled under a very deep wide receiver depth chart, but he's shown flashes of the kind of guy he can be. He could also be a guy we can look for in the in the next few weeks to break out and be a big part of this passing game. Yeah, Chaffrey Brown's going to also have to be yep. a guy that's we're going to have to hear a lot more from. You know, got off to a good start to the year. Been a little quieter these last couple of weeks. But I think with Emery, you know, you saw him start the game this past weekend. He looked really good. Um, you know, it wasn't just the fact that he caught a lot of passes. He could have caught a lot of passes in the second half or even, you know, once the game got out of hand. He was making these catches first, second drive of the game. So clearly, like you mentioned, there's some trust there. Sam Howell feels like this is a guy that, is going to be a part of this offense if he needs to be and he can trust. Um, the other thing that's helping out Carolina also is that Garrett Walston has sort of come out of his shell here. Um, believe it or not, he has multiple catches in the last two games. He has two catches in each game. That is the first time since Phil Longo arrived to campus and installed his offense that Carolina has had a any tight end. And I'm talking about even if it was one tight end one week and one tight end the next week. That's the first time that they've had a tight end at the position catch multiple passes in back-to-back weeks. So the tight end's got to become a bigger part. It helps that your running backs are just having a great year out of the backfield. Um, You know, the other area of this offense that we saw improve in this game, but, you know, we still have a lot of questions about is this offensive line. There's no other way to describe it. I have it written here in, in my little layout. It's a roller coaster. One week this unit is great. The next week this unit is terrible. I mean, you went up against one of the best pass rushing, really just overall defensive line units in the country this year in Virginia Tech. Turned around the week after, got embarrassed by Florida State's, which was one of the worst after a great performance against the Hokies. And then come back in the game against NC State, another school that it prides itself on great defensive line play, especially over the last couple of years, and has a great defensive line again this year and look great. I, I just this is the only thing I can think to ask. What the hell is this Carolina offensive line? And and how did this group gain some consistency? I, I think you saw them at their best on Saturday, which is coming out and establishing the run. And then I, I think if you stick with the short passing game, their confidence will grow to where when they can when they keep holding up, keep holding up, keep holding up. Then when we ask them to give Sam Howell five to six seconds, they can give him five to six seconds. I think the game plans have hurt this offensive line because you're not putting them in situations to succeed for the length of the game. And so I think that's something that, you know, the staff looked at and they just had to readjust. It's like, look, we're, we're weak on the left side outside of Izudu. We just, we, we, we can't get enough consistency out of whoever we put him uh, opposite or, or beside him to consistently be okay with throwing the football and letting our, our, our longer passing routes develop. So um, I think you're going to see this kind of offensive line kind of mold. They're not afraid to shift guys in and out if they get pissed off and they miss an assignment. Or, I mean, a Sam Richards got benched because he had a holding penalty in the red zone and took away a touchdown. They ended up punting or missing a field goal on that same drive. And it just kind of shows that, like, you know, we're not good enough to make those kind of mistakes, and you're not above getting benched if you want to be an idiot. So, um, but I, I think I think if you if, if Phil Longo can evolve with his his game plan – 
and kind of understand that you've got a hindered offensive line on the left side, this this offensive line can still dominate games at the line of scrimmage and push teams around in the run game. And this is a run-first football team. I can't stress that enough that they should line up and run the ball down team's throat, and they can. So, uh, but I, I with you, I think it's a roller coaster. It could be a week in, week out. You don't know what you're going to get, which is why you're always going to feel uneasy because – that offensive line is the reason why they lost to Florida State. You can look at some of the other issues why they lost that game, but you look at the line play, that's the reason why they got upset that night in Tallahassee. Yeah, well, look, for them, I guess it's lucky that you're not the only roller coaster on the team because so is this run defense. This run defense, the previous two weeks against Virginia Tech and Florida State, looked atrocious. They come out in this game, allow less than 40 yards rushing. I've said it all year that I think that this unit – in all honesty, is probably in between the two that we've seen so far this year in terms of where they would actually rank. And, you know, if you if you got any sort of consistent stretch from them where they would be, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think we're going to see a consistent stretch. I think it's going to be like this. You know, now, you know, we'll, and we'll talk about it a little bit when we talk about this Virginia game, but they've got a mobile quarterback. Anytime you face a mobile quarterback, this team is really going to struggle. But if you face a traditional offense where the running backs are really the guys that handle the bulk of the carries on the ground, this defense is going to have a lot of success. I mean, I think that's just something that we've got to come to terms with, that this you know, this team, for some reason, whenever they play those mobile quarterbacks, they struggle to tackle in the open field. They can't really contain the edges that well. But when they play these teams that want to try to run it down the middle and run it down your throat, Carolina has a lot of success like they did in this game against State on Saturday. I, I think what you've seen from Carolina in the run defense is when it comes to if you're playing assignment football, which is a team is going to line up and they're just going to try to conventionally run the football, Carolina can't stop that form of rushing attack. It's the unconventional offenses where this team is going to struggle, which is ironic because one of the things about Jay Bateman's scheme is that you're supposed to be able to kind of be okay if you play against a, a running quarterback with the way he wants to play defense. Now, granted, Carolina doesn't have the kind of athletes across the board to get to that point yet, but I think that's the thing is that if you want to play teams that just want to line up and try to A-gap or B-gap or get it off the outside, Carolina's going to be able to hold their own. Um, they're good enough up front. They're good enough on the edge to kind of keep it respectable. And But it's it's the other issues of a quarterback in the shape with his legs – where they're going to have issues. Um, I think what really helped on Saturday was that you knew with State with the quarterback issue, they were going to try to kind of dummy down the offense, make it as vanilla as it could be just to kind of keep them in the game. So Carolina could actually be more aggressive early. And you saw that. They were able to get to the quarterback. Uh, where they forced they forced three, three now to start the game. That hasn't happened probably since Butch Davis was on the, the sidelines in Chapel Hill. So um, I think that helped. But um, the, 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 the defensive line was a lot better. You weren't having to blitz as much with your your whether Surratt or Gimmel, and they're good enough to still be okay. So it, it's it's going to be up and down too. But I mean, I think that's just I think that's going to be Carolina this year is that they're going to have position groups that are going to be up and down. But as long as you're getting stable performances from the guys you need to, this team's good enough to win most 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 often than not. Well, I, I think the other thing is, is that when you look at this unit, I think there's a chance for this unit to become more consistent and, and really put together better performances because of the guy that they got that's leading them in Chad Surratt. He returned to form in this game, looked as good as we were, you know, hoping he could look. Um, you know, I mean, look, he had eight tackles in this game. The previous two games, he had seven combined. So right. 
you know, he kind of disappeared for a little bit, but we knew he was going to return to form eventually. And, you know, I think for the most part, you know, him and, and Gimmel, you know, they've still had some decent success. Uh, you know, it's just about finding more consistency from them. I think that was one of the things with just how good Surratt was last year at times and even Gimmel at times. I think we missed on the fact that there were sometimes we would let some missed tackles go from them. This year, I think it's a little more evident because the numbers that they are putting up aren't quite as ridiculous because you're seeing some other guys that are having good years around them taking a little bit of the pressure off of them. But, you know, at the same time, I also feel like, you know, believe it or not, running quarterbacks didn't bother us as much last year as they did this year. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's maybe just from everything with COVID-19, maybe some guys just aren't conditioned right. I, I don't really know. But, um, you know, I, I think that's definitely interesting and something to keep an eye on. But I think, you know, there's reason to trust that Chad Surratt is going to get this team where they want to go um, defensively in the run game. And I think, you know, he, he has a chance to show that, you know, even though he's had struggles against the running quarterbacks Carolina has faced so far, he can stand up and make something happen this week against Virginia. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just too damn good of a player to be off like we saw him, you know, in, in, in consecutive games against Virginia Tech and Florida State return to form. But also, I mean, part of that was because in those two games, his defensive line was getting blocked into, you know, into him. So he couldn't he couldn't go get the football. And the thing about him is that he, he's – as good as an athlete as he is, and as good as he is in open field, his instincts are really what, are what him and Gimmel play off of is that their ability to go find the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to find the ball when your defensive lineman's ass is in your face, which was happening the last two weeks. And so when we, when that when that's no longer an issue, you can find the ball and you can make plays and you look like the first round draft pick you can be in the NFL draft next year. So um, and, and, and uh, you know, so I don't I'm not worried about him and Gimmel. Because they'll take care of their own if the defensive line gets the job done up front. And I think that's the thing is last year when you had Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge, they were able to fly around and make plays. This year, you don't have those two guys. Raymond Velocic got hurt. You haven't gotten as much out of Timon Fox as you wanted to get and some other guys. And it's been harder for them to make the kind of plays that this defense needs them to make and and what their position to make plays. So um, hopefully against Virginia, we'll see them kind of get back to form and see this defense kind of start to take its the game to the next level. Another thing that helped this unit out was the fact that they forced four turnovers in this game. Coming in, yeah. they had just two turnovers the entire season through four games so far. Um, this is something that we've heard a lot from Mac Brown here since he came back. This team did not create enough turnovers under the previous staff. They've got to find a way to do that. They finally showed a sign of being able to do that in this game. And I think, you know, going forward, that's got to be something that they can do. Go back to the 2015-2016 season. And I'm not saying that these defenses are anywhere near as bad as those defenses. Not even close. The run defense has shown at times that they can slow down running games. Those run defenses couldn't slow down a PU running game. Um, they've shown that they can get after the, after the quarterback at times. Those defenses couldn't. All I'm saying is, is that what made them so successful was the fact that they could create turnovers when they needed to. Carolina's got to be able to do that going forward because that played a really big role in building momentum and allowing Carolina to establish as big of a lead as they did and feel comfortable coming down the stretch. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the the biggest thing that's been missing from Jay Bateman since he got to Carolina is the fact that they're not forcing the turnovers that right now they need they need to force. I don't know if Carolina's ever going to be a team that can be a top 10 defense nationally. They just may never get to that point. But you can negate that if you're forcing turnovers week in, week out. And what you got to hope is that you force four on Saturday – Turnovers are normally contagious. I know that I know that's a football saying, but usually when you get them, they come in bunches. You're about to play some teams that have lesser quarterback play. So hopefully you can continue to get off of that. And then when you get to that stretch where you you've got Notre Dame and Miami back to back weeks, you 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 know you can go make those one or two plays you got to make, whether it's causing a fumble or picking off a pass or or what have you, that is going to help you turn the tide and 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 win a big time game. So um It'll be interesting, though, to see because, I mean, I, I I didn't watch Army football a whole lot. I don't know if his defense is there were turnover machines. But for what for, for Carolina, they, they've got to get back. They, they kind of, you know, when you look at a Big 12 defense, when Oklahoma State was really good or when Oklahoma's been really good defensively, their numbers are atrocious. But you're forcing two turnovers a week, and then you forget that you give it 500 yards because you still only gave up 25 or less, and you forced two or three turnovers. And I've said that from day one. Carolina can hold teams to 25 or under. They're going to walk on and win eight or nine games on, on a given year with this offense. And then you start adding in turnovers, then you could get to 10 or 11. Then you're talking about ACC championship aspirations. So, yeah. Okay. Well, they're right. They're they're right where you want them at. They're at 25 points per game today. Yeah. I was uh, I remember that from when I did the preview. So they're right there. And yeah, I think you're right. I think those turnovers can help them. Um, you know, last thing that we'll, I, I guess, mention here, um, you know, Matt Brown just continues to own Instant State. Seven straight against them, um, really has dominated them since, uh, you know, the, the middle of his first stint at Carolina. Before that, yeah. I couldn't believe that. Um, he actually lost his first five against NC State, bounced back, won his last five against NC State, and then, of course, has won his first two here. Um, and a lot of the games have been double digits. I think it's six of the seven have been double digit wins over the Wolfpack. So, you know, this is just something that he's done. And, you know, he said it when he came in, I want to build a, you know, a fence around the state in terms of recruiting to keep everybody else out. And I want to win the state recruiting and on the field. That's the main way we're going to win in recruiting is by winning on the field. We need to beat our rivals. It was such a problem under Larry Fedora and look, it's only three games in right now, but Carolina's three and zero against their in-state rivals in terms of the the people that we actually look as the rivals. I mean, look, you know, they lost to App State and to Wake Forest, but in terms of NC State and Duke, Carolina's three and zero, and you got to feel like you don't see the tide turning anytime soon because this seems like an area where Mac is just really comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you know. When it comes to state, I try to be respectful as I can when we do these kind of things. Here we go. But Roy Williams is their daddy in basketball, and Mac Brown is their daddy in football. All of their fans made fun of us when we hired this 70-year-old coach who's been in TV for five years, who doesn't know how to coach in modern football, who can't recruit, who can't relate to current kids. Well, that same guy has beat your ass back-to-back years, and it's not stopping until he leaves. So, because – he knows how important it is for us to beat them. The, the football side of that rivalry with state is very passionate between the fans. It, you know, we hate them. They hate us. And we hate Larry Fedora because we could never beat them. And, 
And so he knew that when he took the job, more than anything, you were hired to beat Duke and beat State and keep good talent in, in, in Carolina. And he's doing that, and he's not slowing down before he, he hangs it up again. And along with that's going to become – this is the new norm. I expect to beat NC State by three touchdowns every time we play them until until he retires. I don't think they'll ever be the same t- uh, on the same talent level as us for the rest of the time he's, he's running the program. So – they just need to get used to it. Bit okay, I'll stop because I I I, yeah, I now, yeah. you know you, you know you just basically if you watch The Office, this is the episode where Michael spanks his uh his nephew. That's what it's going to be until he's gone. It's just go ahead and take the spanking because it, it's going to happen one way or another. That's right. Just because Grandpa's old doesn't mean he can't still whoop some ass. That's that's what they need to take as a message over there. Um, also, I gotta say this: fantastic job by the. Uh, Carolina graphic department afterwards putting together the videos that that's some of the best social media work that we've seen from them so whoever is running all of their social media stuff they have so many different people over there congratulations you guys nailed it Um, and uh, with that I guess we'll turn on to the mid-season part of the podcast as you know our mid-season grades up on the website right now make sure you guys go and check those out uh, on the uh, website heeltoughblog.com check out all those up there we go position group by position group uh break down each position group as well but we got grades for every single one of them we do that every year uh, also what we do on the podcast every year we give out our midseason awards it's simple there's four awards that we give out we get out offensive player of the year at the midway point defensive player of the year at the midway point breakout player and top freshman um so you know we'll start with the offensive player of the year and this is actually going to kind of parlay into another conversation piece that I wanted to sort of talk about here, which is that, um, you know, my offensive player, and I would assume that he's probably your offensive player as well, is Javante Williams. Um, he is off to a fantastic start. Um, and, you know, I mean, look, it's it's really, I, I mean, I think there is a decent case to be made. And maybe I'm going a little bit too far on this. I think there's a case to be made that he could possibly be a Heisman in the Heisman conversation because his numbers are right up there. Had Carolina not dropped the ball against Florida State, there's a legitimate discussion. He right now – you could make the argument of all the running backs that have played a a handful of games is the toughest back in the country to pull, to bring down. That's including Travis Etienne at Clemson, Mm -hmm. Najee Harris at Alabama, who are both in terms of talent, light years more talented than Javante Williams. But that man is a bad man. And you don't just tackle Javante Williams. I, we were in the stands last year when they played South Carolina and I don't ever remember him being tackled the first time someone touched him. And I don't think he ever, I don't think it's ever happened. You don't just tackle him the first chance you get to. He is a brick wall. You're, you're going to bounce right off him. He's going to run through you. Um, his numbers have been fantastic all year long. He has developed as a big time passing threat, making big plays in the passing game for Sam Howell. So I think has care if Carolina would be undefeated there definitely would be a conversation. Now that's not saying that if he keeps doing what he's doing and Carolina keeps winning and they get back up in the top polls and they enter those games against Notre Dame and Miami with playoff implications on the line and he has big games, he could definitely re-enter that conversation. But 
you know, so much, and even you know, after last year, was so much about Michael Carter, Michael Carter, Michael Carter. Javante Williams is this team's best running back, and even though he may not always start the game with the ball, I think you, you know, he's just a guy that you know when 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 you need to get that 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 conversion, you're giving the ball to 25. More times you're going to give the ball to Michael Carter, and that's not that's not a slight at all to Michael Carter. This is why we have the best tandem in college football right now, is because we have two guys that can get the job done whenever we need them to. But man, he's going to make some NFL team happy because he's going to fall late in the in the NFL draft, but he runs hard and you don't tackle the man. So he's and, and as a football fan, a lot of fun to watch. Oh, definitely. I mean, he he runs as hard as some of the guys that we saw last year, Edwards Hilaire, um, J.K. Dobbins, guys that went high, and he can do it out of the backfield too. I mean, both guys, as you mentioned, Michael Carter is so slight to him. Both guys are over 700 yards of total offense already. That's ridiculous. We played five games. Like, that's 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 good. Yeah, they're, they're playing about as good as any running backs in the country. So, I mean, it's it's tough. Like Michael Carter, there's conversation for him for offensive player of the year if enough things go right. Same thing with Sam Howell having another good year. Deami Brown's been playing well. But it's very clearly Javante Williams, and I agree with you. If you do enough things right, you could get him in the Heisman race. I think, you know, only running back that I think right now is a better case than him is Najee Harris, and that's because he's got like 14 rushing touchdowns or something, which is just ridiculous. Uh, defensive player, a little bit tougher. Um, Chasserat, I think, is in the conversation. Trey Morrison's got to get some recognition here, too. Yeah. I mean, I know he, only one of the interceptions technically counts. That interception doesn't actually count in his statistics that he had against Boston College, but that was a humongous play. Um, and, you know, I, I still feel like, you know, there is sort of a case, believe it or not, for Storm Duck before the injury. Now, I think that's probably what's going to eliminate him here. I would probably go with Chad Surratt still, but I think, you know, this is kind of what you want. Last year, it was very evident that Chad Surratt was the best player on your defense. This year, there are some conversations that had to be had that have to be had. And I mean, that's not, I, I haven't even mentioned the guy that's got seven tackles for loss, four sacks, and Simone Fox has had a pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, if, if I had to pick one, I would probably go Trey Morrison just because you've had to move him around. And he his play hasn't lessened with the injuries that the secondary has suffered. And you look at that play at Boston College. If he doesn't pick that ball off, how you know what what goes from there? Do you lose that game in overtime? And then you know what happens? You just don't know because he made that play. And then the interception at Florida State was just first off a you know crazy athletic play. And then at the time, Carolina needed that to try to get back into the game. So I, you know, I, I think his impact, the, you know, for, uh, if it was an impact statement, it's Storm Duck, and it's not even really a discussion. His impact on this defense is monumental. Mm -hmm. But from what we've seen on the field, I would lean Trey Morrison over Chasserat. Okay, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's uh, both guys have fantastic cases. Um, head to the breakout player. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of these guys were, were pretty well known heading into the year, but I feel like to me, there's a pretty obvious one, and that's Tamari Fox on the defensive line. Yeah. You know, he was a guy that was a starter early last year, but he he struggled. Raymond Volasik really stepped up, and there really just wasn't a lot of more playing time for Tamari because you still had Strobridge and you still had Crawford there. So he was kind of pushed to the back burner, was a rotational guy. He's really stepped up this year, though. He's been fantastic. 
When Velasa goes down with the injury, he steps in at nose tackle. I mean, granted, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he's a little undersized, but can still make plays from there. I think he's been fantastic. That's my breakout guy so far. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. When I go through and I look at my trench report, and, I mean, some of that, you know, when I, when I write that article, some of it's stats-based, but, I mean, then I can just remember how many times I see 56 being an impact player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been some times this year I've been wanting more from Timon Fox, but his brother's been picking up the slack and making plays for him. And Carolina's knew that because they haven't been as good up front as they were a year ago, some of that due to injuries and, and, and some whatnot. But um, Carolina's definitely needed his his performances, and he's developed, or you know, now he's becoming a guy that we expect to be a a big part of this defense and, and making plays every Saturday. So I'm in agreement there with you, and you know, it's no surprise that you and I are thinking on the same page when it comes to to that that guy. Yeah, the only other guy that I could really think of here, I mean, Kyler Michael, really good job, you know, stepping in. He's become a starter. He's yeah. played pretty well uh, on the outside. Uh, he's, you know, had to handle a lot with Storm Duck going down, then Patrice Renee going down. So uh, I think he's another guy that's got to be right up there. Um, and then we'll close it out. Top freshman so far this year. Usually we'll stick to the true freshmen here, guys that haven't played so far um, heading into this season. Um, you know, I, I think there's really a couple of interesting cases here. I think definitely you've got a really good one for Jaquarius Conley. I think he's played really good in the reps that we've seen him, unfortunately, ends up getting injured. Um, and then, you know, I think, you know, we've seen a little bit of Des Evans. Uh, he's played a little bit. Miles Murphy in the limited reps he's played has looked good, too. But, you know, really a lot of a lot of the freshmen just haven't really played a whole lot yet. So yeah. I would have to go with Conley. But, I mean, there's some guys that I think for the throughout the rest of the year, if they can get some more reps, could take this award at, when we go ahead and revisit this at the end of the year. Yeah, I'm going to go with you, and I will give Conley the early lean just because we've seen more of him on the field to this point in the season. When the season end, you know, finishes up and we're celebrating a college football playoff national championship, I think Josh Downs is going to be the guy that we're going to come back and say he broke out. I think I think with the injuries you're seeing in the Washington Court of Bo Corrales, he's going to break out, and he's going to be a big-time target for Sam Howell down the stretch. So just, just you know, keep that in the back of your heads, Tar Heel fans. Yeah, definitely. He showed a little bit of, si- of those signs against NC State. Um, one thing that we did forget to do, we forgot to hand out our offensive defensive MVPs. I think this is pretty easy to agree with. Javante mm-hmm. Williams, offensive MVP oh, yeah. this game against State. Uh, defensive MVP, it's Chad Surratt. I mean, look, mm-hmm. he had eight total tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, one interception. He did it all. He, he broke out the way that we needed him to. Um, so we move on. Uh, now we're, you know, getting ready for the South's oldest rivalry, a rivalry that's kind of interesting. I don't think there's as much animosity in this rivalry as some of the other ones. But Virginia, uh, you know, they come in a team that, look, they're one and four, but I think they're a much better team than a one-win football team. Um, you know, they have some interesting things about them that Carolina is going to have to try to slow down. Um, they use multiple quarterbacks. They could use up to four in one game. So. Carolina's got to be prepared for that. Brendan Armstrong is, you know, a guy that got really high praise from Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney before they played him. He played pretty solid in that game. He's been banged up a little bit. They had to start a guy, their backup in Lindell Stone, who was okay, not great. Now they've got a new element into their offense in the last two weeks is they'll throw Armstrong out there. He can run too, but then they'll also put in 
Um, a couple of different guys uh, in Erickin Armstead, who's a freshman. And then, of course, a guy that some people that follow college football in depth will remember in Keaton Thompson, the guy that transferred in from Mississippi State. Both of those guys are runners. So there's a it's, it's a confusing offense. Carolina's got to prepare for a lot of stuff. But at the same time, this is a game that Carolina should be able to come in and win, if not for anything, the fact that this defense for Virginia is nowhere near as good as they've been in the past. Their secondary has been destroyed the entire season, 286 yards per game allowed through the air. So Carolina should be able to have success. And those are the games that favor Carolina. This team is one and four for a reason as well. So you feel like going in, there should be a reason to be confident that Carolina can pull out another victory. Yeah, um, I'm going to be brutally honest. I don't know anything about Virginia because I don't I haven't watched them play. There's so not I, much to know. Yeah, um, <laughs> but knowing knowing that Bronco Mendenhall is the coach, you know that they're going to play hard. They're going to try to be physical. They're going to try to run the football. So they're going to make this game difficult for Carolina to some for some degree. But this is a game that Carolina should win and should win rather easily. Virginia is in a rebuilding year, which is expected. Last year they're coming off the most historic year in that program in some time. You went to the ACC championship game. You went to the Orange Bowl, and you played Florida very tough in the Orange Bowl. You lost your quarterback who torched Carolina in Keenan Stadium last year. And you, you, you've lost some of your skill position players to the NFL guy um, as Zacchaeus who's now with the Atlanta Falcons, who's now making plays on Sundays. So this was kind of expected for that program, but Bronco Mendenhall is, is a quality head coach. He's a veteran guy. He's going to have his team ready to play to the best of their ability. And this game will be a game for a little bit, but I think if Carolina does what they, what they, what they want to do and, and what they should do, which is just line up and let those two running backs just dictate tempo and let Sam Howell throw the football as an extension off of that. Your offense is going to be, your offense is going to make the plays they need to make defensively. You've got to prepare for running quarterbacks and at some point having multiple quarterbacks in the game at the same time. We've seen it with Virginia tech earlier this year, that it is difficult, but that's just an excuse. You've got to find a way to stop it. You've got to be able to limit the big plays that they're going to try to make. Where they're, they're probably going to try some gimmick stuff. So you've got to be prepared for that. Um, it's Halloween. It's a Saturday night, so it's going to be spooky uh, as enough as it is, as I work in a Halloween uh, pun there. But Carolina should win the ball game, And I, and I think I may say this maybe in, for the rest of the year. We learned a lot about who we were after we, when we beat Virginia Tech. And then we learned a lot about who like lost to Florida State. Then you responded with a big win over NC State. Matt Brown has said all along, they don't handle success very well since he's came back. You're now coming off your second win of our top 25 team this year. Do you go out and lay another goose egg? Or do you do what you should do, handle business, and get a win on the road in Charlottesville? Well, the good news is, is that apparently the people that handle the AP polls don't care. Um, you beat a ranked opponent and dropped in the AP polls to 15, which is a joke. You're ranked behind a team that hasn't played a game yet in Oregon. You're ranked behind a Michigan team that beat a Minnesota team that is not a top 25 team. That team is not that good this year. They've taken a step back. But that's that's a discussion for another time. We'll, we'll give that another week. We're going to have that discussion as to whether or not Carolina is ranked correctly. Um, but I think that's that's going to play a factor in this one. I think they're going to come in and probably be motivated to show, hey, we're, we are a top 
25 or top 15 team. Definitely, without a doubt. We should be ranked higher than that. Um, as you mentioned, you know, I think, you know, when you look at what Virginia is going to show you, you know, the thing I understand running the ball, you've got to be able to utilize your deep passing game, though. Do not turn this into a Florida State game where you just completely abandon that deep passing game and said, we're just going to run the ball the whole time. You've got to be able to take shots. This defense is yeah. going to give you that opportunity. So if they're there, take them. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, this is going to be a key for Carolina. This defense has to play better in this game than they have against mobile quarterbacks before. Tackle in open space. Not only do you have to do that when you are facing these quarterbacks in open space, you got to do it against their receivers. They like to get the ball out quickly, and they've got guys that can cause problems in open space, which is similar to Olamide Zacchaeus, who you mentioned. They love those types of guys. So Carolina's got to be able to make those types of tackles if they want to be able to slow down this offense. And, you know, we talked about it at the end there. Create turnovers. Help yeah. your defense out. Don't put the pressure on them all the time. Don't put the pressure on those guys in the front seven all the time to have to make plays. If they are able to get pressure on the quarterback, you need to be able to make plays on the back end if they're there for you in terms of being able to intercept passes. If you're in that front seven, get that football out if you can. That's something you need to see going forward for Carolina. So let's give our predictions for the game. You know, look, this is a game you got to go on the road. I mean, it's this is just a weird game whenever you match up against them. For some reason, they always cause Carolina problems, especially when you have to go to Scott Stadium. As you mentioned, that stadium is always a weird place to go into because you can never tell what type of environment. If they're good, it's always going to be a loud environment. If they're not good, nobody's going to be there. It's going to be sort of like, you know, Boston College where it's almost kind of creepy how hollowed out it is. This year, you know, with everything going on with COVID-19, it's going to be a little weird going in there. But Carolina is easily the more talented team here. There's a reason that this Virginia team is one and four. I think Carolina will, you know, let this Virginia team hang around for a while because that's what they've done in recent years in this series. But I think Carolina pulls away in this one late. I think they get a nice win in this one. Give me Carolina in a, you know, little bit of a lower scoring game than they've had here recently 27 17 Carolina over Virginia yeah I, I know the spread came out and I think it was started out at four I don't know what the line has moved to as of this moment um this should be a game that Carolina should treat themselves to a nice cover um I've got them winning 31 to 13 I I I think the offense may not put up as many points as we've seen in, in wins this year where they've scored over 50 and over 40 but um, I, I think this will be a game where Virginia will kind of shorten the game, so you'll have less possessions. But I think you have too much on offense that they'll be that they won't be able to contain you for for sixty minutes. And then defensively, I mean, I maybe I'm you know I, I just don't think they have enough guys that can beat you um, consistently as long as you can keep the running game in check. I think that's going to be the thing is that you got to shoot up with Virginia Tech because you couldn't stop the run. I don't think Virginia has that kind of talent, that kind of athlete to do that. Um, so I, I think Carolina will go up there and get a solid win and um, and then come back home and get ready for Duke. That's right. Eight o'clock kickoff over on ACC Network for Carolina. Of course, Tar Heel Sports Network will have coverage for you on the radio side of things. If you want to listen to Jones Angel and Lee Pace, they're going to have you covered on that. Um, and, of course, we have you covered on the website. Head over, HeelToughBlog.com. We've got all sorts of great stuff up on there on that website for you guys right now. Of course, uh, you can go back 
look at the NC State uh, game if you want to get uh, just some perspective on how Carolina played in that one. We got the recap. Got the trench report, of course, got the stock report as they head into the game against Virginia. That's always very interesting to look at to see who's trending up, who's trending down as they head into the next week. And then, of course, turn around. We've got the preview up on the website right now. Check that out. Make sure you guys give a look at that because we've got some real big injury news in there in terms of Bo Corrales. Also got some projected starting lineups for you so you can see who we project to handle most of the snaps there for him. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, we'll have everything for you guys when the game is over. Virginia recap, trench report, as well as the stock report. And then, of course, we'll take you over into that next week whenever we face Duke. Um, other stuff up on the website, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, uh, he ends up committing. Um, he's actually going to commit uh, later on tonight when this is this will be posted. Um, we've got the preview up on the website for you. If you're watching this, we're going to just – said uh put it to you straight he's not going to be a target we kind of knew that already he's going to end up going to georgia um or south carolina probably georgia is where he's leaning towards um but we'd have that up there because he was such a long-term target for the target so you guys can check that out also some basketball stuff on a basketball front that's right as you got to look at our uh, our co-host uh his, his girlfriend right there <laughs> but uh, yeah, basketball front. Uh, they just announced actually uh, today that, that we're recording this yesterday. If you guys are watching it, Ohio State, uh, Carolina will play in the CBS Classic against them. Also, Carolina is set to match up in the ACC Big Ten Challenge against the Iowa Hawkeyes. So we'll have you covered on that front. Basketball is right around the corner. And at this point, the way they made it sound today, basketball news should be flying in fast and furious in terms of yeah. getting figure some stuff out here pretty soon. Um, so we'll have you covered on that front as well. But uh, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening and watching to this edition of the podcast. Um, really quickly, if you're, uh, you know, Facebook page, remember, like, follow the Facebook page. Won't miss any of the editions because it'll tell you when it comes to uh, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever. Make sure that you're subscribed, rate, review the podcast as well to help us out, move up some of those rankings that people haven't found. So once again, thank you guys for watching and listening. And for now, we say so long, and as always, go Tar Heels.